Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. Thanks to Raya Eyewear for sponsoring this episode of Holding Court. I've been wearing Raya since last year. During the pandemic, I started teaching more lessons than ever before, especially outside. Raya are by far the best sunglasses for tennis I've ever used. Check them out at RayaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. And use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. They are total game changers. All right, time for another edition of Holding Court. Patrick McEnroe here. And uh, I got to say, one of the things I love about doing these podcasts is actually learning something new. And I plan on doing that today because Dan Tepfer uh, is an incredible musician, composer. He's studied uh, classical piano, jazz piano. And what I love about him, though, what I think I'm going to love about him is because on his, uh, on his website, if you go to dantepfer.com, uh, you learn about him as I've done over the last couple of days in preparing for this. And he writes uh, on the front page of his bio, if you always play tennis against the same person, you only get better at playing against that person. If you always play with different people, you get better at tennis. What I'm trying to do is clarify my message independently of style to get right at the music itself. Dan Tepfer, welcome to Holding Court. Thanks so much, Patrick. I'm really excited to be here. It's great to have you. And I'm just going to come, you know, right up front and tell you that uh, it's hard for me to totally understand what you've been doing and what you've done. I'm not that well versed in, in certainly in classical music. I mean, I know what I know. I know what I love. Um, but your your background is just fascinating and what you've done in, in your career and obviously what you've done just in the last year with, with live music being shut down. But I guess where we need to start is at the beginning. You're, you're, you grew up in France, and now you live in Brooklyn and New York, so you have sort of both countries in your background. But how did you, A, get into music, and what was sort of the origin of how your, your interest in music as a kid? Yeah, it's something that I basically couldn't avoid because uh, not only was my grandfather Chuck Ruff, uh, a jazz pianist out on the West Coast, but my mom was an opera singer. She she sang in the Paris Opera Chorus uh, for 25 years. That's when my folks moved to uh, to Paris from from uh, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result, I was hearing music. I was bathed in music, uh, literally, you know, for the nine months before I was born. Now, um, when you uh, you know your your background is is incredible because you also studied astrophysics and obviously you've used this, your, your study of numbers and computers to sort of, I guess, make yourself even more famous is a wrong word, but in your world sort of unique in that uh, you bring this background to your study of music. And I know when you released your, your, your record, you call it a record, I guess your disc Goldberg variations on box masterpiece and that you, you basically turned it upon itself. I mean, explain a little bit of that to me in layman's terms so that me and other tennis of loving fans that listen to my podcast can understand exactly what you did and what you continue to do. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that I love about music is that there's, there's a surface you know, there's these sounds that we hear and there are these emotions that we feel. And there's a subsurface. Um, there's, there's an architecture supporting the music. And, and that's something I've been really 
fascinated with my, my whole life. I, actually, you know, as an amateur tennis player myself, you know, I like to kind of learn more about the theory behind tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just at the simplest level, like if you are, are hitting a shot cross court, you need to stay right of, you need to stay off center because, you know, because of the, the directions that the ball might come back at you. And so that to me is kind of like a subsurface element of tennis that if you, if you didn't play, if you didn't get into it, you might not realize that that's a thing. And so in music, it's very much the same. If you look at the, the music of, of, of Bach, for example, um, it's incredibly moving and uh, it's beautiful and it's expressive. Um, but there's no way that he would have achieved those things if he hadn't mastered the kind of mechanisms that make it tick underneath. And so those are, you know, as somebody who's, as you mentioned, who's really into science, who's really into math, um, those, are, those are things that have fascinated me for a, uh, for, for a long time. So, uh, so I was, the project. Mm, go ahead. No, no. So I was reading about how you. Uh, I think you talked about to talk about the project. How you you basically played into the piano and you came up with a uh, a way to record it within a computer and then and then play it back while you're actually playing the piece. So explain a little bit how that works. Yeah. So Bach in um, 1741 he wrote this masterpiece, the Goldberg Variations, which I, I, I'm sure you're familiar with. And I've actually, I, I've, I've loved this piece since I was a kid, and I've had a couple ways of, of interacting with it as a jazz musician. First of all, I learned to play it uh, as Bach wrote it. And in 2011, I put out a record called Goldberg Variations Variations, right. where I um, play the 30 variations by Bach, and then after each one of them, I actually improvise a variation in response. So that doesn't involve computers at all, mm-hmm. but it does involve kind of uh, breaking down the constituent parts of the Goldberg variations, understanding how they're constructed so that then I can actually make a meaningful response. that's not random, mm-hmm. but that actually takes into account the constraints that Bach himself is using in the different variations. But then the, the project you're just referring to is something I, I just did almost on a whim mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Um, you know, I'm a touring musician. I'm usually uh, traveling, you know, more than, than half of the year, probably two thirds of the year. And, um, and suddenly, you know, come March 15th, all my, all my gigs are canceled and I find myself uh, stuck at home. And it occurred to me that this was uh, an opportunity to make, make, make good on a project that I've been wanting to, to get into for a while, which is um, write a program that can record what I play at the piano and then immediately play it back upside down. Mm-hmm. And with the, the music of Bach, because it's so intricately and so beautifully structured, uh, hearing it upside down actually sounds really, really great, uh, but it, it, it gives a really different flavor to the music. And uh, and so that's what I did. Throughout the pandemic, I've been recording the entirety of the, of the Goldberg Variations, playing them first uh, myself uh, as they were written, and then getting my computer to play them back with the exact same interpretation that I just brought to it, uh, but upside down. In other words, inverted. That's right. the inversion is, is the technical term in music. So, so obviously, when you when you play jazz as you do, you get with a we get with a group, and it's all about the vibe, right? I mean, it's all about, but it's also about the understanding of the music and understanding when to come in, and you have to be able to hear what your your fellow uh, musicians are doing. So, I know that uh, you've been working on this. My wife is a singer, by the way, so she's mostly mostly singing uh, sort of Broadway type stuff, but she also is you wow. know, plays with the piano. So, I was. Um, 
privy to what she was doing. And she doesn't have, obviously, the same sort of education as far as astrophysics and digital algorithms that you do. But I was privy to watching her in the last year try to figure out how to hear her pianist, how to have everything in sync, how to not have, you know, people out of tune and so on. So you, you know, kind of took this to a whole nother level because I know the whole music world has been, been trying to figure this out. And obviously with your background and your history, this was almost like the perfect storm for you, right? Because you were able to actually get other great jazz players in sync um, it, 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 as long as they weren't too far away, right? So I think they got to be within a relatively close proximity because of the latency issue. So how has that worked for you? And I, I, by the way, I saw your website. You have plenty of gigs coming up. You'll be in, you won't be there, but you'll be in Utah, South Florida, France, all over the place doing these live streams virtually. So how are you able to, you, to sort of figure out how to pull this off? And I'm, I'm sure just having experienced it my, myself in my own little way, very frustrating at times as well, right? Yeah, it's a whole challenge. But but uh, you know, if you're if you're if you're the type of person I am, challenges are are, motiv- are motivating. You know, you see something difficult and it gets you kind of obsessed with trying to solve the problem. And uh, as, as you kind of hinted at, uh, this period, you know, although it's been extremely challenging for mm-hmm. for, for artists and musicians, uh, in some ways has been. Um, a source of creativity for me because uh, it's presented all these brand new challenges. I mean, I'd never live streamed at all before the, before the pandemic, even though I'm a long time you know, programmer and, and, and kind of tech enthusiast, it just never occurred to me because mm-hmm. I love playing for people in person. Sure. But, you know, come, come, come the pandemic, um, there, there's a lot of technical challenges that they, they were just immediately kind of thrown down. Uh, the first is, you know, how to, how to live stream properly, which, uh, you know, of course is, something that most musicians have been trying to struggle with. Um, and uh, that's great that, you, that your wife has been going down that road too. Uh, but very quickly, you know, about six weeks into the pandemic, um, I started being in major withdrawal from mm. playing with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I remember seeing those videos of Federer, uh, like bouncing a ball against the wall really, really quickly with his racket. Right, right. And, and, then, like, and then he was playing. Was then like, he was playing out in the snow, like against a wall in Switzerland. Also, exactly. that one. Right. It was tragic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> oh man, that's how that's how we felt. Sure. You know, I mean, uh, us, us improvising jazz musicians, we live and breathe for the conversation, for this incredible intimacy. Of of uh, of improvising music with another person, and um, and I was starting to get into kind of major withdrawal. And coincidentally, uh, my friend Ben Wendell, who was in Hawaii, he actually by yeah. accident was on vacation in Hawaii when the pandemic hit, and just stayed there. Um, he asked me, Dan, is there any kind of tech that would allow somebody in Hawaii to play a duet or you know play in real time with somebody in New York over the internet? Right. right. And I just you know I. I, I did study physics, so I got, got a napkin out and I kind of wrote down, I know it's, what is it, like four and a half thousand miles from, from New York to Hawaii, and I know mm-hmm. the speed of light, and I realized it would take light uh, on its own uh, if it were just traveling in a, in a straight path, about 26 milliseconds to get from New York to Hawaii, and, and that's just way too much. 26 milliseconds is like playing with somebody who's 26 feet away from you in a room, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a reason why there there's a there's a conductor in big orchestras. Right, people right. are so far away from each other that it's just the sound actually takes some time to get to, to the other person. You can't really play in great sync 
mm-hmm. when you're that far away. And in any case, with the internet, it would take much more than 26 milliseconds because every time the information hits like a router and a switch, right. there's a little bit of delay uh, as the as the packets that get passed on. So I, so I told my friend, you know, no way. But then I, I tweeted about it. I said, um, you know, this is kind of an interesting question. My friend just just asked me, and somebody commented. They said, you know, actually, if a, if somebody's close enough, to, close enough to you mm-hmm. geographically, uh, you can do it. And people have been experimenting with this software called JackTrip. And so, I immediately downloaded JackTrip. Uh, it's not at all for the faint of heart. It's like a very much an experimental academic piece of software. But I got it working, and then the next day, I played with my friend Jorge Roder, and we literally were like crying as we were playing together because we've both just been so deprived. Like if you if you're used to getting a hug every day, and and you hadn't gotten one in, in six weeks, and you suddenly get one, and it was just beautiful. Yeah, Jack Tripp was, um, I think, created by a couple guys out of Stanford, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Chris Chafee is one of them, yeah. and uh, actually, a few weeks after that, I wrote to Chris and um, with. Uh, with his help and the help of uh, another programmer named Anton Runoff, who lives in St. Petersburg, who had been contributing to the open source project of JackTrip, uh, we actually added some features to JackTrip that allowed me to not only play in very, very, very low latency with the people I was playing with, you know, low enough that I can be playing with the great Christian McBride, who's, who's you know, one of the greatest jazz bassists in the world, at a tempo like, you know, and I'm playing, that requires extreme precision to be playing at that kind of tempo. So the latency is low enough for that. It's basically imperceptible latency, but also simultaneously, this is just a technicality, not that interesting, but I'm also getting another stream from him that's in higher latency and doesn't have any audio glitches. Um, and, and so that's the feature that we were able to add and, and what's allowed me to do these ticketed live stream concerts all through the pandemic with, um, a whole host of, of, of really great players. Are you mostly doing the live streams, Dan, with, um, one, two other players or what's the setup? Like, obviously you can do your own piano performance, which I know you've continued to do that as well. But when you do a sort of a little a jazz set, is it a trio? Is it four people? What, what, what's been, what, what have you found has worked the best during this pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. So, so obviously, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be a pianist so that um, I can play alone. I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. of instruments that you're for the solo bassoonist of the Metropolitan Opera, you know, it's a lot harder to, to, to play solo concerts. Um, I mean, I love solo bassoon actually, uh, but it's, it's not as, uh, as common as solo piano. But um, as far as these remote collaborations have been concerned, um, duo is, is really mm-hmm. the thing that works mm-hmm. perfectly. Uh, because depending on the situation, you can have a tiny bit of latency. It's not something perceivable. It's on the order of like 15 to 20 milliseconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you just kind of feel it in the vibe. It just feels a tiny bit like maybe it'd be like playing tennis in high humidity or something like right, that. Right, right, I don't right, know. Right. Or maybe right. with some wind. Right. Maybe it was like on a windy day. Yeah, wind we don't um, like. No, wind is no good for tennis, but uh, we have to yeah, deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so, so in those situations, if you have a little bit of latency, um, in a duo situation, you can, you can really compensate for it um, because one person can kind of take a more – uh, a complemental role as the other person solos on top of it mm-hmm. and vice versa. And, and you can kind of just make sure that things don't sag too much. But I have done it uh, with with two other people. Mm-hmm. I've done it with bass and drums. Okay. And I've gotten it to work, 
but that's definitely much more challenging because if you think about it, when you're playing duo, the information over the internet just goes between you and the person you're playing, right? right. Playing with. It's just basically it's not a straight line, but it's just it's a straight line as as it can be. But if I'm playing with bass and drums, when the bassist plays something, that information is coming to me, and then it has to go back out from me to the drummer. And when the drummer plays, it has to go to me and back out right. to the bassist. So it basically doubles the time. So if you, and also right. And if, so if you added it, another player, it's just going to do that in, you know, tenfold or hundredfold. If you add a fourth player, it just it continues on, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it would stay, you would have the same problem if you keep adding players. It's not mm-hmm. that it would get worse and worse. It's that everybody would have that same problem where there's a step in between them and the other player. Whereas mm-hmm. when you're playing duo, there's no extra step, right? It's just literally back and forth between you and um and so you know this is something that that i know uh the jack trip team has worked on a lot mm-hmm. and uh and that i definitely want to i want to do a, a concert with a with a string quartet i want to make that happen um so it can be done it requires really great internet connections at every step right and you know it means you got to be pretty close together This episode is being brought to you by Raya Eyewear. Over the last few years, a growing concern of mine has been the long-term effects of overexposure to UV rays from my extended time on court in the sun, you know, following that little yellow ball all over the globe. Well, I was also just tired of squinting on sunny days, but my fear was always that wearing sunglasses to protect my eyes would affect the way I hit the ball. Well, last year, especially during the pandemic last summer, I came across Raya, and I'm so, so glad that I did. Raya is changing the way tennis players see the game and protect their most important performance asset, their vision. All of their eyewear is handcrafted in Italy and built specifically to enhance ball contrast and provide protection from those harmful UV rays. There's no question that they help me see the ball better, they relax my eyes in the sun, and they've become an essential part of my tennis experience. Check them out at RiaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. Use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. I promise you will love these sunglasses. This episode of Holding Court is being brought to you by True. That's T-R-U, the lifestyle beverage. Absolutely amazing. Go to drinktrue.com to learn more. I suggest you try out the True Sampler, 30% off with the code PATRICK. Um, When you play tennis, Dan, because I know you're a tennis player and you like to play, um, and if you put it on the front of your website, you know, you do a comparison to tennis. I love that. How would you do... You know, what's funny is I'd, I'd forgotten... I forgot that I'd you made put that, that comparison. Yeah. Oh, I love I, it. I, I wrote that years ago, and I, and I still, you know, that that artist statement or whatever still rings really true to me. But but when um when I heard that we were going to do this podcast together, which by the way I've been really excited about because I'm a fan, um I it I, I it literally did not occur to me until I heard your intro just now that I wrote about tennis <laughs> on my website. See, I like to surprise my guests, you know. So let me ask you this: when mm-hmm. you when you play tennis, because I I. I've kind of run into this, and now that I work here at our academy that my brother started, the John McEnroe Tennis Academy, and I've been here now for a few years since I left um, working for the USTA running player development. So, we're, you know, so I get to work with all the kids and, and coaches and so on, and from a different perspective because now trying to, you know, sort of teach the game, coach the game, and I, and I realize, like, first of all, tennis is really hard, like, to get really good mm-hmm. at. Um, so I sort of have a, maybe more of an appreciation for – 
what I was able to do, certainly what, what my brother did and how we grew up in Queens, you know, and just sort of figured it out. But my question mm-hmm. to you is um, when you play tennis, and I, maybe this is kind of like when you're playing jazz, I guess, do you, do you look at it as you're playing against someone or are you playing with someone when you play tennis? Because I could go that's either a way. That's really wonderful question. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's a really wonderful question. I, I remember uh, in my early 20s, because, you know, I, I've been playing tennis since I was a kid. Um, started when I was eight or nine or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, I was never, like, super serious about it, but I always really enjoyed it. You know, I was immediately serious about playing the piano when I started. <laughs> I could see six, that. But, yeah, I could see that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember in my early 20s, I was playing with a friend of mine, uh, Rob Moose, who's, who's actually a really great um violinist and guitarist for, for singer songwriters um like he did strings on the last taylor swift record um oh. and, and we used to play uh, tennis a lot and i remember we were playing together and i realized that neither one of us really wanted to win points mm-hmm. and and i realized i think it's because we were playing with each other rather right. than against each other you know there's this thing sure. in music it's not it's not competitive in fact if you're competitive in music it's really a bad thing. Um, there are people like that. There are kind of like testosterone, um, kind of macho players right. who are trying to show off when they play, and everybody hates them. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes the audience will like them, but other musicians hate them because because really music is an opportunity to be together. Right. It's an opportunity to, to be in harmony with each other, mm-hmm. and, and that requires you know not, not being there to show off. It requires there to be present with the other person to be listening. And, uh, and I realized that that's what was happening with, uh, with my friend Rob. And, and it's something I have to fight in myself, you know, because obviously in tennis, I mean, it's important to win. Like, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and, um, and so I have to kind of fight that, that urge to just want to keep playing, to want to keep the match long, to want to keep the, the point going in myself. You just want to extend that jazz, you know, just keep it going. Just let's keep this riff going. It's funny because in, in, in trying to teach tennis, when I work with the kids, like you said, of course, you know, when they start playing points, you know, you want them to try to win the point. But at the same time, when you're rallying, when you're warming up, I always say to the kids, you know, you got to play with your uh, partner. You got to play with them. Mm-hmm. In other words, you got to put the ball in a place where they, they can get it. You know what I mean? And so therefore you have to understand a lot of things. You have to understand how well you can control the ball, how well you, you're, how hard or soft you're going to hit it. So in other words, if I played with you, Dan, I would figure out in, you know, two shots that you hit what your level was at. And then I would, Mm -hmm. then I would control the ball in a way that would allow you to play. You know, it's like if I went and played with, with Rafael Nadal now, if he decided, you know, he was going to play full out, I, I wouldn't be able to play with him. You know, I wouldn't be able to rally mm-hmm. with him. But if he, you know, like we do in in working with other tennis players is you figure out, okay, what's their level and and how can I make it so that we can play together rather than p- playing against each other? That's for that that's a separate sort of part of the competitive side of tennis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful analogy. Um and in fact, you know that there's there's really something like that in music too. Even though it's not competitive, mm-hmm. there is a sense of pushing each other. You know, if I play with a with a with a musician at my level, um, there are all kinds of, of paths that I can take. You know, like it could be it could be pushing kind of the rhythmic envelope. It could be pushing the harmonic envelope. Uh, it could be kind of uh, throwing melodies back and forth because I know that I can play a certain level of complexity of melody, and they'll be able to immediately hear it and maybe play it back or or uh, or make their own version of it. 
there are all these things that I, that I would do to push my partner and they'll do the same to push me that I wouldn't do if I were playing with, you know, uh, maybe a a talented 11 year old, uh, right. Because you know that there's only so much they could, they could understand. Right. So if you're playing with somebody, they don't have the same level of understanding you I mean it's a, it's a conversation right, right? It, it's right. the same same way that if you seek if you have a conversation with the 11 year old you're going to be speaking in a certain way mm-hmm. we bring our empathy into play but I love what you're saying about having to bring that empathy into play when you're warming up in tennis obviously when you're playing a match it's different right yeah no definitely I mean if you're playing a competitive match then then that's you know the pro level obviously it's a whole different ball game um all right so pandemic <laughs> we're we're hopefully nearing you know where the not the end but nearing where you know they're already talking about um sporting events you know with a limited amount of fans actually my wife is prepping to do a show with the french institute where they're saying okay they're going to have some people there in the audience with their pianist and and so on so for you obviously we we hope you're going to continue doing your your stuff live live streaming but what what do you how do you think when things, if and when things get back to relative normal, this process that you've gone through, right? In other words, what's going to be, what's going to be the outcome of the technology improvements, the things you've been able to do uh, solo? How will that, do you think, combine with, okay, now we can go back to, you know, Birdland and we can play, right? We can go back, you know, to our clubs and play and start touring again. Do you think there'll be any sort of, connectedness crossover from what you've been able to do during this time. And then when you get back to live shows. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, what's interesting is uh, there was a trough in between the waves of, of the virus in Europe uh, in, in at the end of the summer, right? August, September, we're still pretty relaxed. And I actually had uh, a few concerts over there. I played a, a big outdoor show in Italy at the end of August. I played in Paris with early, uh, early September mm-hmm. uh, in a jazz club, and I played in Romania uh, in October, early October. Um, and um, in the in the in the gig in Paris, it was this solo piano concert, and I found myself bringing ideas to this live performance mm-hmm. with a live audience that wasn't live streamed, that absolutely were born of this whole live streaming, streaming experience. Because actually next Monday is my 50th Monday live stream. A couple of weeks into the pandemic, I started um, live streaming and I never stopped. I, I, I've been doing it every Monday. Every and that's Monday. in addition right, right. to these other streams mm-hmm. that we were talking about where right. I can actually sell tickets, you know, to, to concerts. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that's, that's a lot of weeks. And the thing that came up for me immediately when I started live streaming is, is that I have to create a connection with the audience. You know, mm-hmm. if you're in the same room, that connection's obvious. We're all breathing the same air. We can just feel our energy, mm. all of this. Uh, we, obviously people can applaud, they can whoop if they want. Um, well, how, how do you create that in a virtual environment? And what I realized is the comments are actually really powerful mm-hmm. as, as trivial as it sounds. Um, if I, if I really pay attention to the comments and, and honor them, and make it a conversation instead of this one-way performance, um, people start to feel really included. And um, actually, what happened at that gig in Paris is I started asking people, for example, for themes for mm-hmm. free improvisation, because I, I love doing free improvisation. So mm-hmm. I said, you know, give me a key, give me a time signature, give me a, a theme, could somebody whistle a theme? 
and I'll play with that. And, and people really loved it. And this is, this is something that I, I never did uh, before live streaming. You know, in terms of the other things that will continue past the pandemic, I think, um, you know, having figured out how to, how to play with other people over the internet in a, in a truly authentically musical way where you can play full on music where you're not restricted. That's something that's going to continue because, uh, for example, rehearsals, you know, if I, if I'm rehearsing with my friend who lives in Patterson, New Jersey, um, he's got to drive over here or I've got to somehow take public transportation over there. Um, it, it's, it's a pain right. and there's no reason for it. I mean, really, really this, this technology allows you, you know, as I've, as I've been showing through the pandemic to legitimately make music together over the internet. So, I think that's going to continue. I'm actually working um, on making a, a version of Jack Trip that's very, very user friendly. Mm-hmm. That'll be as easy to use as Zoom. And so, you know, I think I think that'll continue in, in some form. Now, as far as you know, doing live concerts and continuing to live stream them, I think we'll see. You know, it's going to be a real question of of what people want to have in their lives. Like, are mm-hmm. they going to want to continue having that, uh, or are they going to be just you know relieved to be able to go out on a Saturday night and, and hear music in a, in, a, in a concert hall. Maybe you can try, and when, when you go back to doing a live show, you could have your c- computer or big screen, and you could let the people comment while you're doing your show, right? And put it on the stage, you know, comments. You know, there's a, there are a lot of experiments yeah. to be done there. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing you're going to do, Dan, and I so appreciate you giving me this time. This has been fascinating for me, and um, I'm going to continue to follow you. By the way, you can go to dantepfer.com to check uh, all – Dan's music out and to catch his live streams and so on. But I need you, I need you up here. I need you to come from Brooklyn, make the trip here when you're comfortable, little Randall's Island. We'll hit some tennis balls and you and I, we will play together, my friend. Patrick, I would absolutely love that. And by the way, I'm now fully vaccinated because I I teach in the state of New York. Oh, cool. Good. I was eligible early and uh, I'm there anytime. Sounds good. And thank you for doing this and uh, good luck and, Keep up that jazz and that classical music. What a combo. Thanks so much, Patrick. Okay. Honor talking to you. Okay, you too. Dan Tepfer, everyone here on Holding Court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.